church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dr. Dennis Hall, and I'm delighted to have you listening to this podcast today. This is an exciting time in America. We're just a little over two weeks away from a national election. We're going to be selecting senators and congressmen, all kinds of local offices. You know, there's this old saying that uh, you shouldn't discuss religion and uh, politics, especially at the barbershop or the hair salon or over at the country club or at a dinner party, uh, that this is not a good thing to do because it can become so contentious. Well, Today on this podcast, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to talk about religion and voting and politics and and try to analyze really what we as godly people, and not just godly people, but people who know right from wrong, should be doing during this uh, election cycle. You know, it's uh, uh, voting is one of our most basic privileges, and... Um, uh, one of our most basic freedoms. Uh, it's a freedom that, that people have died for uh, from the beginning of this, this great nation that we call America. You know, it's, uh, it, it saddens me to look at statistics where we know that only three out of five people exercise their right to vote. Uh, I hope it's different this year. We're seeing some things already, you know, about 20 states are already uh, in what we call early voting, early voting. And uh, and people are reporting there seems to be a good turnout. But in the past, only three out of five people have exercised their privilege, their right, their freedom to vote and elect the leaders in the United States. It's really no different for people who profess to be Christians or people who profess to be godly people. It's the same number. Uh, three, only three out of five are voting. Now, one piece of good news is that uh, about 97% of Christians who attend church regularly vote. Now, that's a good statistic. Unfortunately, we know here in America, uh, fewer and fewer people are attending church uh, regularly. And so... Uh, you know, people who are passionate about a, a particular political candidate or a, a particular political um, um, party are voting. Those people are voting because of their passion about uh, their political view. But a large percent of our population seems to be apathetic and uncaring. Now... <clears throat> I want to address the question of why is it important for God-fearing people, especially Christians, to be voting? And let me just say straight out, if you think your God 
is not interested in politics, then you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Immediately, Jesus is teaching us that we must be political creatures. This is one way we can help bring this, uh, you know, the kingdom of God on earth in the here and now uh, to fruition. And that is uh, here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we should be seeking God's reign in every second in our lives. Uh, you know, it seems... You know, it seems that uh, that voting, just the basic process of voting in a democratic process is one of the best ways that we can follow Jesus' teaching to bring about his kingdom. You know, Romans um, 13, 1 teaches, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, you know, by voting, we're publicly stating, really, that we are submitting ourselves to the authority of the political system here in the United States. But in America, we're not submitting ourselves to political authorities. We get to elect our representatives so the people that we are submitting ourselves to are the people that we are choosing. You know, Jesus uh, famously said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And voting is one way we do this. It's, it's a, a fundamental way to follow Jesus' instruction to us. In Deuteronomy 10, it teaches that God expects no partiality or discrimination among his people and expects that widows, orphans, and those in need of food and clothing be taken care of. And, you know, voting is one way that uh, we recognize and demonstrate that all people in this country get a right to speak and be heard by voting. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2.1 urged that Petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. You know, voting is a clear way to demonstrate that we care deeply about who our leaders are and, and that we are willing to pray for them. Edmund Burke once said, All that is required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Let me say that again. All that is required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. In Psalms 34, 14, we're told, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, if you think that we seem to be increasingly surrounded by evil, it's absolutely critical that you vote. 
It's our freedom, it's our right, and it's critical that you vote. You know, in the highly acclaimed uh, book, Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas, he lays out how many non-Christians, non-church people, are fighting against evil. Let me paraphrase what he says in, uh, in this, this wonderful book. I, I would recommend it to you. Uh, today in America, too often, we see who are not at all Christians, but who nonetheless seem to see precisely what is happening and have the courage to speak out. Some of these people are simply patriots who love their country, who see the wicked forces that are trying to destroy it. Some of them are self-described feminists who see that a war is being waged on women. Good Americans, these are good Americans that see crazy, anarchy forces that are working hard to abolish God-given freedoms established in our founding documents and want to destroy nearly every aspect of American society, a society that's been the envy of the world. Many of these who are outside the church see the injustice and madness, and they know they must fight it, and they are fighting it. They see that these forces want to wipe out do away with the, distinct, uh, the distinctions between men and women, to wipe away any semblance of clarity about sexual behavior and to introduce completely alien ideas to our children. And they know something's wrong. They don't need to attend church or read the Bible to see these things. They've watched almost psychotic abortion activists scream about the right to kill children in the womb as though this was a sacred and good thing and have witnessed all kinds of powerful forces in government, media, big tech, big pharma attempting to silence anyone who dares to voice any disagreement with what these radical elites have declared and uh, think that uh, their opinions are the only ones that are worth allowing. I've seen these elites not just cancel those who disagree with them loudly enough, uh, but demonize anyone who has a differing opinion. They see astonishing attacks on the values and virtues that most Americans cherish. Not merely serious Christians, but many devout Jews and Muslims and many who rarely mention uh, God. These people are somehow not crippled, not crippled by the silence of inaction by the warped theology of many Christians. And so they're leading the way, bravely speaking up and taking the slings and arrows that come with doing so. You know, in Luke 10, just before Jesus laid out the parable uh, of the Good Samaritan, he reminded his followers that uh, to inherit uh, eternal life, we must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then God told the uh, Good Samaritan, uh, uh, Jesus told the Good Samaritan parable, where a priest and a leader in the synagogue passed by a man laying in the road uh, naked, 
beaten, half dead, and then finally a despised Samaritan came to his aid. Now the moral of the story is multifaceted. However, what is clear is that our inactions have serious consequences. Not voting is a form of voting. Not voting is a form of voting. It will influence the outcome. It may mean that if you're not voting, you are part of this problem of evil that exists in our society. You know, when Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, he means it's more than just being nice to other persons. Voting in ways that will limit abortion is a way to love our pre-born neighbors. You know, voting in ways that uphold the family and will stop sexual uh, experimentation with our children is a way to love kids. Voting for policies that provide real opportunities for the poor and needy is a way to love them. Voting is a way to love your neighbor. You know, I came across an article written by Chris Blake that contained what could be called the uh, Ten Commandments of Voting for Christian and Godly People. Commandment number one, thou shalt remain knowledgeable about the issues. You know, in Luke 13, when Jesus referred to Herod as that fox, he wasn't referring to Herod's good looks. In the upcoming election, we're going to be voting for U.S. senators and congressmen as well as county commissioners and school board members in a variety of local offices. And we may not know everything there is to know about these candidates, but there's no reason for us not to know a great deal about the candidates that are running for national offices and where they stand on the issues. You know, the, the newscasts, I don't care what channel you're tuning into, are just covered up with information about these national candidates. Uh, you can listen to town halls. You can listen to, uh, to advertisements. You can listen to interviews. There's just no reason for us to not know a great deal about these men and women who are running for national offices. Apathy, apathy is just not a Christian value. And we really ought to be making an effort to understand who these people are and, and what they stand for. Commandment number two, thou shalt not hitch thy wagon to one political party, come what may, right or wrong. Now, we've all known people who are just going to vote Democratic or they're going to vote Republican. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, in some states, I think you're allowed just to uh, mark a place where you want your ballot to be straight Republican or straight Democratic. This raises some real questions about, uh, about how objective one is about their voting. Now, whatever else a Christian or a godly person ought to be, in the voting process, you ought to be thoughtful. Something as important 
as the way we are governed and who we're going to be governed by should be approached uh, with seriousness and ample reflection. Otherwise, we're hardly, uh, we're hardly loving God with all our mind as he commanded us. You know, political parties are not some kind of a sacred vessel. You know, God's not democratic or republican or libertarian. You know, we need to be people, we need to be people that are willing to abandon the support of a political party if their policies stray from biblical teaching. Commandment number three, commandment number three for voting. Thou shalt acknowledge that complexity cannot be fairly reduced to a five-second soundbite. And we live in this age of entertainment where uh, what matters is what shimmers and bounces and has uh, impressive style over real substance. You know, it appears that uh, the political debates in our country have been reduced to these 60-second sound bites from um, uh, well-speaking, articulate, good-looking uh, people, often celebrities, uh, the spin merchants uh, inundate us in these echo uh, chambers with quick statements about inflation, crime, immigration, gasoline prices, abortion, with all kinds of layered uh, nuances and baffling uh, contradictions. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we need to investigate. We need to sift and read and try to compare you know, this is how we love God with all our minds. He expects us to use our minds, particularly in something as important as, as uh, selecting our leaders. Commandment number four, thou shalt weigh integrity of character. Yes, character matters. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 the Apostle Paul warned that there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with this people, the Apostle Paul says. Have nothing to do with these people. And I want to tell you, do not vote for these kinds of people. Do not vote for these kinds of people. Now, Commandment 5, the voting commandment 5. Thou shalt obtain decision-making information from multiple sources. Now, if you're one of those people who only watch Fox News or Newsmax or maybe CNN or MSNBC, you're really not examining different perspectives, are you? Now, it may be hard for you to discipline yourself to listen to alternate sources, to challenge your decision-making, but it's something you need to do. You know, Jesus, um, 
he sent his followers into the world to filter worldviews by his teachings. And you need to understand what opposing views there are in the world. And we, made, we need to make an effort to do that. Commandment 6. Thou shalt be willing to change thy mind. <laughs> well, um, I guess some people call this flip-flopping. Uh, we quickly say that when we see a politician uh, change their mind about something. But, but uh, it's really about becoming educated. Now, we should never compromise on serious moral issues, but sometimes we need to recognize that we've not been given complete information or full information or sometimes any information. You know, we're in this age of cancel, cancel culture where there are many who want to literally shut down and eliminate the opportunity for an opposing opinion to be heard. We shouldn't support that. We should be on the opposite end of, th end, end of things where we are literally uh, uh, challenging people to educate us, to let us know what their opinions are and why they stand for these things. Commandment number seven. Thou shalt not be a generalizing one-issue voter. Now, there are people who... Uh, say, well, I'm going to vote for this candidate or this party because they support this one issue. When there are many, many issues facing this nation. You know, the news right now, interestingly, is reporting that the number one issue on the voters' minds in America is of inflation and the economy. The number one issue, inflation and the economy. Now, that's an important issue. But there are many more things that need to be considered as we evaluate a political candidate's position. You know, we've got this serious problem at our southern border that goes beyond the costly problem of illegal immigrants. On the southern border, there's been extensive sexual abuse of women and children and human trafficking and the smuggling of illegal drugs that's killing tens of thousands of Americans. And then in addition to the problems at the southern border, we're, we're, we're seeing all this indoctrination of young people with ill-founded ideas about transgenderism and critical race theory. Uh, we're seeing uh, uh, crime in our streets that's uh, killing thousands of young people, especially in the major cities across America. These are really serious problems facing our nation, and we need to be involved in a process where we clarify and prioritize these issues as we consider our vote. Now, Amendment, uh, excuse me, uh, <clears throat> uh, number eight, commandment on voting, number eight. Thou shalt not vote for thine own interest. You know, all the pundits 
continue to tell us that the number one issue for the American voter is inflation, economic prosperity, the economy. We're told that voters have lost 30% of the value of their 401k accounts and that people are uh, are, are, uh, foregoing the purchase of a home due to inflation and rising interest rates and uh, delaying retirement. And people can't stop talking about the price of gasoline and how prices in grocery stores are increasing. All these are... All these are real issues. But you know, when economic prosperity is the central issue in our election, it's a window into the soul of our country, isn't it? Doesn't it tell us something about our country? A fixation on the bottom line of our society? You know, voting, voting just to uh, protect our own personal bank accounts really is a tragedy. Matthew 6.24 tells us we cannot serve both money and Jesus. You know, as I alluded to earlier, we've got thousands of young people who are dying in America due to the, the uh, intensification of crime across this country. And... Uh, thousands succumbing to the availability of illegal drugs. Human trafficking is rampant. The critical race theory nonsense is building a new level of racism in our country. And when most young people uh, with any gender confusion, uh, when I say most, 85-90% of young people with, with any kind of confusion about their gender, gender outgrow it, Many are being subjected to uh, chemical suppression of puberty and genital uh, mutilation. Homosexuality is paraded as a normal lifestyle in our society, and and, uh, extensive homelessness is a major problem in almost every major city in America. Christians. Christians should be voting for others, not our personal bank accounts. Romans 12.10 tells us to honor one another among ourselves, above ourselves. Honor one another above ourselves. And then in Philippians 2, 3 and 4, in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Now, look, I know you can make an argument that, uh, uh, that prosperity, national prosperity, is the best way to achieve these other goals for a society. And there's some truth in that perspective. However, I think we have to admit that the discussions in this voting cycle have largely been focused on inflation and prosperity. Now, Commandment of voting number nine. Thou shalt truly love thine enemies. Well, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God in Matthew 5, 9. 
And then in Matthew 5, 44, he taught us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, I got to tell you, in light of these kinds of uh, Christian values and Christian teaching, it was stunning to watch the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, a professed Catholic Christian in 2020 at the State of the Union Address, refuse to shake the hand of the President of the United States and then brazenly before cameras tear up his speech. You know, we don't have to like people or their words or acts or political position, but Jesus calls us to love everyone as he did, to treat all people with grace and dignity, which really means Christ is calling us to comprehensive civility. You know, while hanging on the cross, Jesus prayed for the very people who had crucified him. You can read about this in Luke 23. You know, we can disagree with our neighbors politically without calling them names or speaking derisively about them. This is really all inappropriate and unbecoming. Did you know that following the Civil War that Abraham Lincoln had the military ban play Dixie? That's a very interesting fact that tells us a lot about the attitude of our national leaders during this that very difficult time for our nation. Now, Commandment 10, and really this is a message for each of us. Thou shalt vote each moment of the day. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, our ultimate allegiance is not to a, a, a particular candidate or a particular uh, a political party or even to the country, but our ultimate allegiance is to God and Jesus Christ. We're, we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. You know, each moment of each day, uh, we're sort of in a ballot box, and we get to vote our Judeo-Christian principles. Everything we say and do matters. Every thought, every action determines where we stand in the ballot box of daily living. Now, as I begin to uh, close this podcast, I'm reminded that Abraham Lincoln <clears throat> made a profound statement uh, concerning politics. And it has implications for voting. He said, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is is to be on God's side, for God is always right. You know, there are men and women who may not be Christians, but their moral compasses are pointed toward the ways of God and may be better political candidates than others who profess to be Christians. We need to know where they stand on the sanctity of life, abortion, transgenderism, human trafficking, freedom 
freedom for religious speech, human trafficking, the, the prevention of drug and substance abuse, critical race theory, the explosion of pornography and the epidemic of child abuse. These are the moral issues facing our country. You know, if Christians and godly people abandon the political process, the values and ethics and moral standards of our country will suffer. You know, Proverbs 29 reminds us, when the righteous are in authority and become great, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. Let me tell you, your boy, your vote, your vote makes a difference. Don't waste it. Thank you for listening to this podcast today, and I hope I might run into you at the polling precinct. God bless you.